Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast, maybe Patreon, maybe not, who knows. My name is Robert Borthwick and I am joined today by Mr Craig Anderson, who looks like he's sitting in Rugby Park uh, because we're on Zoom here. It's a, a very nice background. Yeah, it's, it's also the away end of Rugby Park, I believe, which is, uh, is that right? No, it's yeah. not. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the Chadwick stand, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which is, I think it's really TV gantry, it sometimes is. Um, and I, I've, the first time I sat there um, in a very long time was at the United game because we were scattered all around the stadium. Um, but yeah, um, and Robert Bothwick, I should say as well, just so that you're still introduced last even when you're hosting. Um, oh, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so uh, yeah, pleased to be talking about some, uh, some, some red hot Premier Sports Cup action. Well, that is exactly right. So this show is the winners and losers from the weekend just past of Premier Sports Cup. Um, obviously, Fowler being the, the great organiser that he is, has got a couple of losers on to do this show as well. So, uh, I, I mean, let's let's just start where I don't want to start, uh, which is Celtic versus Heart of Midlothian. Now, I think we'll just we'll go through these games and try and pick winners and losers from each if we can. Start with a loser. Start with a loser, Craig. I, I'm kind of reluctant. It has to be Robbie Nielsen, really, right? I mean, I I have sympathy with it because I think um, the tactics that he used, that some people were critical of in the, the win over uh, Celtic at Tynecastle, I thought they worked because they kind of played a bit of a rope-a-dope on Celtic and soaked up a lot of pressure and were good on the counter-attack. In this game, I think I was just listening when I was out of walk um, and I hadn't, hadn't caught up with uh, the one that the European podcast we did on Thursday, um, talking or, or on Friday, talking about Celtic's game on Thursday and talking about how under Postacoglu they're now starting to suffocate teams and basically push them back and not let them out. And I think there was a bit of an element of that, like Celtic were so on top of the game that Hearts found it difficult to play out. And I think several Hearts players didn't do what they were capable of in terms of being on, in possession and being able to play out with the ball. But ultimately, if you're conceding what felt like about 300 shots in the first 20 minutes of a game, you're probably not set your team up right. And Hearts showed that when they came out a bit, and again, I appreciate Celtic were, were, were a couple of goals to the good by that point, um, that they could still hurt. Celtic a bit but they, they really just didn't do it early on so I, that was my view of the game I had sympathy with their setup because I think it, it worked at Tynecastle try it again but Celtic are probably better since then Yeah I mean it's hard to disagree like, it, it, you're absolutely spot on going with three in the midfield is, is what won us the game at Tynecastle really making that change um, but Celtic I'm convinced that Robbie Nielsen won't have told his players to play exclusively inside of their own box. Um, no. I think that's, that's maybe a mindset thing with Celtic. Being as good on the ball as they are right now, uh, they're, they're really they're finding a, a proper rhythm with Rogic and uh, Turnbull and McGregor in the midfield and then obviously the, the, the three guys up front who can hurt you as well. So 
I think it's a mixture of the the players failing to do their bit, but also, I mean, it's hard for a manager to make a change in the first half. I think he's always got to show a bit of conviction in why he's set up the way he has, but 10, 15 minutes in, it was blatantly obvious that Hearts not having an out ball, not having a Josh Ginelli or someone like that was really hurting them because there was there was no way that it was going to stick up front. Liam Boyce scored a penalty, obviously won the penalty, but it was one of his poorest games. Uh, the ball didn't stick to him at all. He lost possession countless times. Uh, the interesting thing was he he seemed to be a lot of the time dropping deeper than Mackay Stephen. He almost seemed to be playing as, as a sort of second striker. Yeah, and he, he does that quite often, Boyce, anyway. Um, he, he, he can drop into the sort of like number 10 role. He played centre mid. Uh, against Cali Thistle in the Betfred Cup. Sorry, the Premier Sports Cup. That's the whole <laughs> point of this show. Ah, oh, God. Tell you what, the Betfred Cup is just a better name. Let's just say that. Um, so, yeah, he can do that. But for me, it's like, if, if you were to pick one loser from this game, it's Craig Gordon. Um, I think that he made so many good saves, but the keepers aren't remembered for making the saves that you expect them to make. He made a huge error, which was eventually the, the winning goal uh, for Kyogo Furuhashi. Um, and at a time when Hearts, you could definitely, you definitely couldn't say were in the ascendancy, but had found a foothold in the game. Uh, you know, they, they got the goal back. They were finding Ginelli. Ginelli was giving Starfelt nightmares, just like he did at Tynecastle as well. So there was a way back into the game. But Craig Gordon, a terrible clearance uh, on his weaker right foot, straight into the middle of the park, where Odson Edward was apparently the only man on the pitch. Um, so he had time to to pick out Rogic, Rogic went through the hashy and then the goal itself, it's going wide. Um, it's going to hit the post or go wide and Gordon deflects it into his own net and obviously after the hubris uh, of Hearts winning at Tynecastle and saying that Craig Gordon's the reason that Hearts won, Celtic are in a shambles because they got rid of him. He then sells the jerseys. Uh, quite quite the narrative that I could see coming, to be honest with you. Uh, Craig Gordon in a Hearts jersey, pretty much only makes mistakes at Tynecastle. Uh, that's uh, sorry at uh, Celtic Park. That's the only place that he uh, that he makes howlers and gaffes. Um, so for me, Hearts failed as a, a as a team, and I think you you were spot on in what you said there. But if you had to pick one loser, one big loser from that game, it is it is Craig Gordon because you know how much that game will mean to him as well. Going back to Celtic Park, so uh, it has to be has to be him for me. I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's fair enough as well. I think it's just, I, I felt sorry for him in the sense of like, he, he's a very good, he's a goalkeeper who is very used to playing games under siege. I can remember so many games for Scotland where it felt like he would made about 400 saves in order for, uh, that's twice I've used that same type of exaggeration, which is very bad, but nonetheless, he, he made a, a substantial number of saves um, to, to keep Scotland in games. I remember the, the famous Iceland game at, um, Hamden, where uh, McGregor and Ferguson were on the bench sticking the fingers up. Gordon had come back into the team. He'd been dropped, or I don't know if he'd been dropped, but McGregor had been playing before that. And uh, he came in and, and had a fabulous game that night. And it's happened so often. When the team are on the back foot, there is not usually a goalkeeper you would much you would rather have. Perhaps his weakness, as you said, is actually when the team's on the front foot. Um, they're, they're starting to maybe be in in the game a bit more and he maybe actually likes just constantly having to make saves rather than having to go kind of 15 minutes between one um, which is maybe why although he was, he was fine at Celtic he sometimes uh, he sometimes wasn't the most popular goalkeeper I mind when he nearly decapitated Greg Spence yeah he did that he did it twice right he did it in a, a, another game around a similar time as well um, but yes I, I do remember that and he just, just gets bored maybe yeah, that's it. And, and obviously, because he was playing for Celtic, he only got booked for that. So. <laughs> um, any winners from this game, Craig? I had the whole of Celtic, to be honest. Um, I thought they, they had a, it was an absolutely fabulous performance from them in terms of like on the ball. They're, they're a really exciting team to watch. We talked a lot last season about Rangers being an exciting team to watch, like when, when they were attacking and when they were on top of teams. It wasn't stifling, it wasn't like you know, we'll pass it around you and we'll, um, and we'll eventually get a breakthrough. It was like constantly trying to force things, trying to play these kind of excellent passes, lots of dribble and lots of things you'd like to see. Tom Tom Rowich is the one I'll pick out, I think, as a guy who we've talked about several times, you assume has maybe been on his way out. I think the last time I was on this podcast, just said, you know, the fact that he's not featured much under Postacoglu would, would be a bad sign, but 
I thought he was at the centre of, of everything good that Celtic did. Um, you could obviously talk about Furuhashi in the same boat, but um, I thought Rogic's touch w- was tremendous. Again, he got more space than Hearts would have liked him to some of the time, but even when he got closed down, the way he kind of took the ball past people, he, he's he's got a very upright dribbling style and that can make him very difficult to tackle, I think, because you don't get the same sell of whether he's going right or left is when a player's kind of crouched down. You kind of it's very telegraphable almost, but when he's so upright, he's he, he kind of glides about the pitch. And the thought of having Rogic, Christie, Furuhashi, Turnbull all in amongst the same team is for, for the type of defenders that play in Scotland, I think is going to be a very difficult prospect. Um and, and you're going to see several teams get taken to pieces, I think. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Tom Rogic is the one that I'd written down. Uh, I'm not sure because I didn't watch it on Premier Sports. I'm assuming, was he given man of the match in the end? I'm not too sure. Yeah, I have to say, I recorded the game, so as soon as it hit the full-time whistle, I put it off, so I have actually no idea um, who got man of the match. For me, he was man of the match anyway. Um, I'm not sure if Premier gave it to him, but he did. He he pulled all the strings. Um, And like you're saying, the one thing I did want to pinpoint is exactly what you were saying there, is close control. And his ability to get past players who are seemingly directly in front of him, and he just has this way. You know, he's got the, he's got a bit of strength to almost like straight arm people at the way as well. You know, like Peter Haring a couple of times fell victim uh, to to Rogic just having that extra wee bit of strength and, and getting past. Obviously, you know, he, he didn't quite have his shooting boots on, uh, which in the past we've seen Rogic is incredibly. Uh, <laughs> incredibly capable uh, from outside the box to to hit the target from distance, but his, his range of passing, the way that he was keeping the ball moving, and between him and Turnbull with uh, McGregor sort of buzzing about in between them, it was just really nice football to watch, uh, and and something that as a Hearts fan I can sometimes be blinkered by uh, with the opposition, but when Hearts literally don't touch the ball, you don't have a choice, <laughs> and that's kind of what happened here. So yeah, I, I, Tom Rogic for me was the the big winner. Um, Furuhashi, I thought was was good up until a point, actually. Uh, I don't think he was maybe as effective as he was against your Dundees or your Jablonic's, but he, he was still very good, obviously. He got the quote-unquote goal, uh, which should be given to Craig Gordon, but yeah, he, he maybe wasn't Maybe Celtic fans have spoken him up so much that I was expecting more. As well. uh, for, for me, it was the fact that so so there was kind of two sides of him. I thought he, he got in those. I think it was Michael Smith mostly was getting into those kind of running battles with, and he was going down very easily. And I think was was expecting sort of um, a lot of nice kind treatment from the referee almost um, a lot of the time. In, in the first half, and it kind of wasn't happening for him. But then I thought in the second half, when the game opened up a wee bit more. You could see he's he's such um, such a very talented player. Just that he's he's very difficult to pick up. He moves about so much and he kind of glides around the park again. And he's one of these guys that you just think he's very unlike many players we've had in Scotland for a long time. I think um, that that's not to say he's necessarily better. He's just a very different style of player to anything you kind of are used to seeing in this league. And that always catches my eye, I guess. But I, I think you're right. I mean, he didn't impact the game the way, for example, he did against Dundee, or, or, or certainly I didn't see the second leg against Jablonich, but the, the first leg of that game where he was tremendous. Um, I, I mean, he scored five goals across those two games, so of course he was. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he's one that I will be... I mean, I might not see Celtic in the flesh this season, but if I do see them in the flesh this season, he'll be the player that I'll be um, be looking out for. Aye, 100%. His, his movement... Is just absolutely. It's. I just love watching players like that. They, they're just so effortless in the way they move. And let's now effortlessly move ourselves <laughs> there. On to the next game uh, in this list. And I think that that one, one that I am excited to talk about anyway, because uh, it's funny. Is Wraith Rovers two, Aberdeen one uh, at Starks Park. Wraith Rovers with a, a shock victory, um, I think you, you would say, but obviously looking at the changes in personnel to Aberdeen, the fact that they'd had that European time, maybe not that much of a shock, but from that one, let, let's let, let's start off in the front foot. Let's look at winners. Who who caught your eye in that game or what caught your eye in that game? I, I was like, it was a kind of half, yeah, I, I can praise the Wraith Rovers players, but it's mostly for their second half performance, but I thought um, Blaze Riley Snow was good. He was someone that I had um, I'd heard kind of it maybe not been as impressive as you might have expected um, from a from a kind of a young player with a wee bit of a reputation behind him, but I thought 
the a lot of the attacking play that, that Wraith had um, in that second half that kind of led to goals came from him making things happen. And, and that's kind of what you want when you when you bring a young player up from England. You kind of want them to, you know they're not going to be consistent. You know they're not going to impact games constantly, but you want that when they impact games, they make things happen. They create opportunities. They get you the, the big openings and things like that. He was one, and then um, the second one for a race that stood out was Dario Zanata, who is, is another player. He's not not a young player up from England, obviously, but he's another young player or youngish player who is quite inconsistent at times. I know he didn't have the best of times at Air United. I don't think he had the best of times at Partick Thistle either, but kind of two spells at Wraith Rovers, he's, he's been pretty good. And he obviously kind of... Um, had that chance in the first half that he, he kind of lashed into the side netting and then second half he obviously obviously does the business and that's kind of what you what you want from a player I guess in these games you need you need people to step up and, and he, I felt he did Yeah 100% I mean so that is obviously one that I'm familiar with uh, coming through at Harps and then obviously had that, that really good loan spell at Aloha uh, which is where he, he, he sort of got himself into the sights of your Wraith Rovers and your Partick Thistles and all that for his performances when he was there. I thought that it was interesting what he said after the game, uh, sort of, you know, he'd heard what some people had maybe said about him, about his style, uh, about being lazy, laziness uh, coming into it. And, and he sort of took that quite personally, I think. Uh, and he's looked to try and, uh, you know, shut shut those people up. And I, I always enjoy when, when players do that. And the opposite of laziness for that winning goal, you know, Jack Garth, who for me is a loser, but we'll come on to that. Uh, he was dallying on the ball in the box and Zanata, just out of nowhere, off screen almost, uh, came tearing in, took the ball off him. It's a really thunderous finish. It was a really confident finish. Um, it's, it's one that obviously he scored that incredible goal on the opening weekend against uh, Hamilton Ackes as well. Again, something he is capable of. Strikes from distance, but he just seems to be playing with confidence. And I think that his, his inconsistency can come from a lack of confidence. I think he's always kind of suffered from you know, a, a poor performance, he takes it very personally. Uh, it maybe takes him a couple of weeks to, to get over it. But you know, as we've seen under John McGlynn at Ray Rovers, a lot of players have improved uh, in the last couple of years. And you could definitely see Zanata being uh, the, the next one to do so. For me as well, Regan Tumulty. Um, yeah. One, for his performance, but two, for the celebration at Zanata's goal, uh, when he's not even really been involved in the move. Uh, and he puts his top over his head uh, like Ravinelli and, and, and joins the celebrations. Huge fan. Huge fan of players who haven't scored uh, celebrating like they have. So Regan Tumulty, but again, you know, he's one that, that last season stood out. Uh, you know, he, he had some some properly top performances um, and seeing him performing that way against a top flight team. Obviously, like we say, it's a team that made a lot of changes, but performing that way is really nice to see and, and seeing him sort of kick on as well. But for me, it's mainly the celebration thing, to be honest. <laughs> um for every winner, there must be a loser, and Aberdeen had their fair share. Um, so, who who are you picking out? Who are you pinpointing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you already mentioned him. The one I'd, I'd put down was Jack Gore. I think we'd we'd seen him in previous games. That he's he's a very limited player, but I'd kind of pegged him as maybe a kind of solid defensive fullback. But I think we can kind of um, now say that he's not that either. Um, his mistake for the first goal, he, he makes it. Um, I'm sure it's him that makes the daft foul that um, that gives away the free kick. And then for that second, that's unforgivable for the second goal. In fact, not only did he make the daft foul, I think he also lost his man for the um, for the the first goal, and then for the um, second one, uh, it's, it's completely unforgivable to wait on the ball inside your your own penalty box. Um, always assume there's an opposing player on your back. It's Late on in the game, you're the better team. If you need to go extra time, you'll go extra time. Just lash up the park and think about kind of nice possession or whatever later. It was it was kind of uh, unforgivable. And again, when you bring in Atlanta FC's like fourth or fifth choice right back, I'm not sure what you're expecting, to be honest. And it's alarm bells for me for Aberdeen in general that they thought that either Glass or Cormac or whoever it was thought this guy was worth a contract. It's... Uh, questionable to me um, because he, he really looked out of place and that was against championship opposition yeah absolutely quite often you see as well I mean down the years for, for a lot of teams 
guys acclimatising or they're, they're sort of the way that they're, they're made to acclimatise to Scottish football is in these sort of barnstorming cup ties uh, where the, the pace is maybe a wee bit higher than it could be in a, in a league game you're coming up against a, a really motivated lower league team with a, a, a sort of a full house almost behind them as well you know it, it can be it can be a, a very tough introduction um, to, to Scottish football and, and certainly Jack Gar suffered um, for that on Saturday um, or Sunday sorry I think for me, Stephen Glass has, has got to be a, a yes. better leader here. Um, so Aberdeen fans, for what felt like forever, uh, we're, we're getting on at Derek McInnes um, for you know unattractive football. I think Stephen Glass certainly plays more attractive football. But another thing was uh, a team the size of Aberdeen and with the resources of Aberdeen should be competing for more trophies more regularly. You know, McInnes was very good at getting Aberdeen in the finals. Um, he never really got them over the line. Obviously, he did that once uh, against Cali Thistle back in 2014. But Stephen Glass had a, an opportunity here uh, to properly stamp his mark and stamp his authority and he's, he's fallen short. That's a big one for Aberdeen. You know, it's it's yes, they, they've got European football and and all that kind of stuff to to continue to look forward to. But for Aberdeen, the two trophies, the same as it is for Hibs, Hearts, anyone else really in Scotland, the two trophies is your opportunity. And he made a few changes uh, from the team that that, that played against Breathabeek, but they weren't good changes. You know, that it weren't guys that came in and, and improved the team, and they've they paid for it. You know, that as soon as as soon as Rovers came out flying in the second half, they didn't have an answer. Yeah, and that that's that's got to be slightly worrying. Uh, I think you know, on the whole, it's certainly been a, a positive start to the season for Aberdeen. Uh, I think it has been, but this is this is a got to be a really sore one for them to take. And speaking as a Hearts fan, I know that losing to lower league opposition in the cups uh, is is never a nice experience. But for Stephen Glass, it, it's unfortunate because he, he he'd built up some credit in the bank uh, with the way that he started. So two things for me. That, that, I mean, that's two cup competitions that he's been been able to take them out of already, and he's only been in charge for what five months or something, because um, because they they got absolutely uh, battered by Dundee United in the in the League Cup, uh, the Scottish Cup, which was quite soon after they came in. To to be fair to him, um, but the the he, I think he underestimated Wraith Rovers. I think he thought he could get away with making a larger number of changes than he really could. Um, like I think, like someone like like the likes of Scott Brown, fair enough. He needs a rest, and and obviously the European game takes a priority for him. But does, does Lewis Ferguson really need a rest? I I don't think a lot of the the younger Aberdeen players really need to be given a rest at this point in the season. It's not like you know, can I kind of understand it more if it was like April and everyone had been playing you know fifty games already, but. They're fresh into the season, they're fit, they're healthy. Okay, they could pick up an injury, but as you say, whatever happens to them in Europe, they are not going to win the Europa League, um, or the sorry, the Europa Conference League, but they may win the League Cup. Um, and, and it's kind of that balance. You would take the piss out of English teams for um, resting players in European games so that they can finish sixth in the league. You've kind of got the opposite here. It's like, well, would you rest players in a winnable cup competition so that you can qualify for the group stages? I'm never sure about the idea of resting players in general, to be honest. Player, yes, again, older players that have maybe not got the legs to play um, or guys with injury problems. But I think if Aberdeen send a fairly strong team out there, go and batter Wraith Rovers or, or at least go and win the game, that gives them more confidence than now, now the guys that were playing are, are obviously a bit... Um, on the back foot already, they start going going to play against Carabag and being, you know, they've got that hanging over them. I always question whether that amount of squad rotation at this point in the season is necessary. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that as well. And I think it's it's always dangerous to change a winning team as well. And I, I think that obviously, you know, off the back of that, quite reasonably fluky win um, at uh, Livingston and then obviously uh, seeing, seeing away the Icelandic opposition it is, it's just for me making huge changes like that has always got alarm bells and red flags all over it um, and he's, he's he's paid the price for it you know as Rovers deserved that win based on the second half uh, you know they, they absolutely battered them and, and they you know could have scored more as well and I, I think it's just a learning curve you always want to say that for, for a new manager going into a, a proper first team environment for the first time yeah. um, but it's it's one that I'm hoping will be very well learned uh, to be honest for Stephen Glass because that was 
there's not the way that Aberdeen should be going out of cup competitions, no. um, especially with the sort of um, the the vibrancy and the and the, the, the positive mood uh, from the start of the season as well. Just just a, a word on Emmanuel Thomas's goal. It's tremendous. It's so much so much good technique um, on that goal, um, and that's something that he's one of very few players I think in that Aberdeen team even who's capable of that. I think he's hit the ground running really well for them, and I think he if he keeps kind of playing the way he has been, he'll, he'll be a, a better signing for them than I thought he would be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, completely agree. So we will leave Starks Park and we will go uh, further north. Let's go to Gayfield, uh, Arbroath versus St Johnston, a barnstormer. What a what a cup tie this was. Two each, well, one all, sorry, uh, full time. One uh, one each at full time, two each at the end of extra time and then St Johnston winning 3-2 uh, on penalties, some very poor penalties uh, in, in this shootout. But who are you going for? Who was, who was the biggest winner out of this uh, cup tie? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard one to say. I, I, I'll just pick. Uh, I'll pick Xander Clark um, on as a sub and saves saves or uh, and he wins a penalty shootout. Why not? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think obviously after his uh, poorer display against Galatasaray, uh, where he was maybe uh, culpable for a couple of goals, it's, it's always good to see. You can never keep a, a good Xander down, uh, and, and he's absolutely shown that. I think. Uh, I think he's the one for me as well. Obviously, Middleton coming back into the the team, getting a goal, uh, it was is nice to see. But I think this was a, a lot, a lot too way closer than St Johnston as the cup holders would have wanted it to be. Uh, and I think a lot of credit needs to go to Arbroath as well for for recognising that and you know getting on top of their their opposition. Um, I think uh, a, a loser from this game's referee. Um, the, the sheer number of yellow cards that he was just flying out with um, for, for no good reason uh, and a lot of them from what I've seen in the highlights as well um, it was a bit much and then I, I just feel terrible for Bobby Lynn um, you know he's, he's had a bit of a tough time with injuries recently and then it's his penalty that's the the, the, the more decisive miss uh, in the shootout as well so sorry Bobby but you are a, a, a colossal loser um, as this podcast sees you got to apologise <laughs> um, I, I like the word to know that um, yeah yeah, it was it was one of those for St Johnston. It's just about getting getting through. You you they they had a massive game the other night. The adrenaline and all that from that game. They they put in a, a colossal effort in both legs. To be honest, against Galatasaray, and they're going to be a bit tired. They're going to be a bit leggy, and just getting through, just keeping a hold of that cup again. You know, continuing not to lose cup games is kind of what matters. They fought back twice. Um, Jason Kerr could be a loser like don't let him ever take a penalty ever again um, like not only I mean even the one he scored um, in, in Turkey was was he scuffed it and got, got lucky um, yeah to miss one in the game and the shootout is quite um, quite unfortunate listen Craig if, if you score a penalty in hell then you should be allowed to take as many penalties as you like <laughs> he might have splashed it but it still went into the bottom corner he got enough purchase on it but no I think that's a uh, that's definitely definitely a good shout. Now we'll move on from Gayfield if that's if that's okay with you, and we'll go to a game that, that you were the most invested in um, at Easter Road. It was Hibs two, Kelly Nil, um, Kyle McGinnis and Kevin Nisbet, the goal scorers for Hibs. I'll come straight out of the traps here and then just let you go off. Um, I think is the easiest way to do it. Biggest winner for me, Kyle McGinnis, not just for this game but for the way that he started the season. Um, obviously, he's had. So many well-documented uh, injury problems in the past, and he's come in and he's just made—he's made such a difference this Hibs midfield alongside, obviously, Jake Doyle Hayes, um, who's come in and, and looks like a, a really great acquisition for Hibs. McGinnis is uh, get ready for this, Craig. He's like a new signing. Uh, the way they come in, the way they come in, and he's, he's properly affecting games, not just with, uh, with with scoring goals, but defensively as well. You know, he's a big laddie. He can make the uh, he can make the difference in that way as well. Um, but no, it was a, another goal for him. He can't stop scoring uh, from midfield, and I thought it was just another another good performance. Obviously, I, I shout out for Kevin Nisbet as well, who I thought uh, had a really a, a really good performance up front after finding it very difficult uh, in Europe last week. So I, I wish shout out for him. But for me, the biggest winner again, as he has been for Hibs since the start of the season, uh, Kyle McGuinness. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a, a tap in at his goal, but it's still at the same time he had to be in in the position to do that, and I've been impressed with him this season. Um, that didn't get to the game, so I'm I'm, I'm working on on limited highlights for this, and obviously chatting to people who were there. Um, I'll pick the the loser first. I think is uh, Brandon Hunstrup. Um, 
Kelly's left back. He was Kelly's left back last season. He's one of the very few survivors from last season. And I do get the sense the reason he's one of the few survivors from last season is that nobody else will take him and he had a two-year contract. Um, he's not very good. Um, he's such a weird player. He's like big and tall and he looks all the world like a footballer. But then he gets on the ball and he drives like past the halfway line. But then it's like he every single decision he makes is like a wrong one or a weird one. It's like he doesn't know how to play football. He goes to go into, like he'll, cut, he'll try to cut in onto his right foot, even though he's not got a right foot and play passes in field at the kind of most inopportune moment when he has, when he should be kind of crossing the ball. Defensively, he's okay, but not better than that. Um, and I think, I wonder, he just he just didn't have the best game um, yesterday, and I wonder if that will be the final straw. Callum Waters is back from injury, a player who knows the championship fairly well, obviously from his time at Aloha as well. Um, and I wonder if that will be the final straw in Honstrup and whether they will again try to um, try to find someone in England who will take him because he came up with quite a big reputation from his time at Portsmouth. But if I was to pick a, a, a player, I don't think there's any losers in the Hibs team uh, yesterday, so if I was to pick a player it's maybe a bit harsh on him because he's playing against top level opposition but yeah, he would be the one I would pick um, I would say um, the Hibs, the assistant referee and or Hibs TV just for the fact that there was that strike from Liam Polworth which was tremendous and we don't know whether it went over the line so either the assistant referee is the loser for, for not spotting that the ball had crossed the line or Hibs TV and or whoever has got the camera at the game is a loser for not giving us an angle that lets us know. Uh, I would I would blame the angle. It's 2021 technology should be better. Uh, and you know me, I love referees and linesmen, so I would never never consign them to. I literally just called them a loser in the last game. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, anyone anyone particularly impressive on the Kilmarnock side that you want to that you want to sort of pick out for a, a bit of praise, or, or is it just one of those games where? Uh, <laughs> Kelly competed really well in the first half. I think Polworth is probably the one that stands out. He's just a really, really good player, a really good footballer. And again, someone who I would say has no business playing in the championship. He's not like so good that you'd say, oh, he's definitely a, a top six player or whatever. But I think he would improve or at least would fit in nicely in several midfields in the Premiership. I think the reason he left Mullerwell was maybe less about performances and more about um, him rubbing people up the wrong way and maybe not being the most likeable guy. Um, or at least not getting on very well with those at Motherwell, but um, he's, he's shown already he's a really good player, um, and and he had a he had a good game, um, especially the first half. But ultimately, it was one of those games. Kelly were you know they they kept in it. They obviously had that good chance from Polworth that that may or may not have been a goal, um, but in the second half, Hibbs kind of superior quality showed, and the biggest the biggest disappointment for Kelly's um, Chris Stokes went off with a hamstring injury he, um, he's he been the, obviously the new captain looks pretty solid we've, we've been good defensively we're not conceding a lot of goals with the partnership of him and um, him and Ewan Murray at the, the heart of the defence and it would be a shame if he's out long longish term which it sounds like he might be um, like as in as in at least a kind of six to eight weeks type injury Scott Robinson coming back um, and, and making his first start of this spell is good, though. Um, so that's a kind of positive from Kelly. But um, yeah, it would be hard to pick out because, uh, again, I wasn't at the game and there's there's been sparse highlights of it. But that's from what I gather from people because as we'll get on to with some of the other games, we could probably put, um, put down coverage of the games or the fans who want to watch any information about any other game they weren't at as losers. Yes, it's not been it's not been terrible easy, Craig. Let's be honest. I mean, we've 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 gone through my anguish. We've gone through uh, your Kilmarnock's loss. Let's look at the the Cocker Fuelist Derby. It was uh, Dundee one, Motherwell nil, and goal machine Lee Ashcroft uh, with the uh, the only goal for Dundee to win it. Is there anything that sticks out from this game? A winner or a loser? Uh, so I'm going to pick as my winner um, someone called Hammy HD on YouTube because he provided uh, me with the opportunity to actually watch this game um, right. because uh, or, or at least highlights this game because it's just like like most of these games and I might as well just talk about it now a loser in general for the whole round is Premier Sports and the SPFL in the sense that the there seems to be no effort made to actually cover the, the competition beyond the games that are on the TV um, Premier Sports didn't allow clubs to live stream the games um, now I can kind of understand that because you're now 
kind of saying you've got unrestricted crowds. We never used to be able to watch games we weren't at. So I don't mind that in the sense that, you know, if we're getting back to normal, that was the original deal, fine, whatever. But there's no effort to, you know, have a highlight show, to put highlights on YouTube pages, to do anything to promote the competition. And that comes down to both of them as the broadcaster who have the rights for the competition and then the SPFL for agreeing to, to deal with a bunch of cowboys like that. And um, they've obviously got their, their grips on the competition for a while. So that is, for me, far from ideal. Um, and the fact that we are sitting here on a Monday when there was games played on Saturday that you can't really get a hold of highlights from is not really great. Um, but fortunately, Hammy HD stepped into the fold, a, a vlogger or a YouTuber or whatever you want to call them, who was sitting behind the goals to at this game and um, provided ample footage for me to to watch and get a good good feel of the game. Um, and it did feel like Dundee deserved this win and it was a really nice uh, headed goal from Ashcroft. Yeah, I, I would have to echo your sentiments there about uh, the lack of coverage is... Considering the sponsor is a broadcaster, I just think it's really bad optics, if nothing else. It's something that should be explained because you're looking for highlight shows. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> with the Premiership, you, you, you get sports scene, which is, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's a highlights game. You, you see a lot of uh, Scottish football. But for the cup competitions, it's been this way, obviously, since it was Betfred as well. And, and really, ever since it was uh, monopolised by BT and then obviously Premier Sports thereafter, the, the coverage and lack thereof is is really quite jarring. Um, it's it's a hundred percent put on the clubs to then put out highlights packages. Um, but obviously, a lot of clubs want to keep that behind a paywall, which is their right. And it just means that fans like us um, lose out. And and when we're wanting to see things, you know, you can pay for a Y Scout subscription and watch the whole game if you want. Fine, but even then, that might not come up until Tuesday. You know, Monday, Tuesday as well. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's use this as a big opportunity to just slag off. Uh, and and ask questions of um, the 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 broadcasters and the the suppliers of the football because it's it's really annoying. The St Johnston goals that I've seen, uh, I saw from their own sort of like cameras behind the goal and stuff like that. And it's like the, it's the, the Glen the Glen Middleton one. You literally it's literally a gif of him sliding in at the back post. Now you can picture the fact that it was a missed penalty, so you kind of know what's happened. But it's like a one second gif of the goal that you're you're having to go on. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's not great. And as I say, I. I I tend not to be too critical um, in the situations where, uh, you know, there's limited resources, limited money. But if you are selling the rights to a broadcasting company for a competition, I don't think it's too much to either either say to them, provide us a, a highlights package or tell them, if you don't do that, we'll sell highlights rights to somebody else and they can do it. It, it doesn't seem like... Surely enough people are interested. If enough people are interested to watch sports scene every week, enough people are interested surely to watch highlights of this competition. It's not it's not like that different. Especially at this stage. I can understand the group stages and there's like all those games going on and probably the interest in, in some of the, the dead rubbers at the end of the groups is not high. But this is knockout football's the last sixteen and every single tie had premiership teams in it. It's not like, you know, it's it's small games or anything like that so I don't understand it at all but it has been this way for this competition for a hugely long time but it feels very small time Absolutely I completely agree uh, and literally the losers in this were mother well so maybe we can just leave it at that so from there uh, we can we can move on let's look at Air United uh, against Dundee United the, the battle of the Uniteds one each uh, is how that game finished a, a quite late Nicky Clark goal uh, pegging back Tommy Adeloy's opening opener sorry and then Jack Baird with a red card in extra time but Ayr were able to hold out to still lose 3-4 on penalty kicks um, for me and, and I can't decide whether I want this to be a winner or a loser is Tam Quartz for his post-match interview uh, which has been clipped up and put online where in the space of 11 seconds he says about 18 different cliches which I just find absolutely mesmerising and, uh, and and a great big fair play to him, but also I hate managers and generally just people who speak like that. So I'm, I'm conflicted on whether I should be uh, naming him a winner or a loser. Um, I mean, you can decide if you want. We can just settle this right now. I I don't like it, so I'll call it a loser. Um, I think it's like it's not, it's not insightful in any way. Like if you're supposed to be some 
a football manager who's kind of selling himself all the time on his kind of principles and all this, uh, you know, he's he's meant to be a modern manager and all that. Well, don't then I don't know if he's doing it as a joke, like come out with bullshit. Like it's got no it's got no value. So yeah, I will I will call him a loser and probably annoy people, but nonetheless. Fair enough, Tam Court's loser. But let's um, big here with yeah. the losers and you must be uh, you must be cock a hoop at that. It's another trophy they're not gonna win. Yeah, I mean that's now what we're talking a hundred and this will be hundred and eleven years. A hundred and eleven years that United have been in existence in twenty twenty one can be ticked off as yet another one where they did not win a trophy. Um we 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 can finally uh, move on to twenty twenty two where I thoroughly expect the same outcome. Um they were very unlucky in this game, though. I thought they deserved to win. Yeah, they were they were the better team right up until um, the the penalty. Again, if I was watching, I was watching this um, on a on a stream, um, which again an illegal stream because there was no way to legally watch the game unless I wanted to travel down here. Um, and I thought that they were the better team. Um, they for for coming up against and it was a full strength, a pretty much full strength on the United side. They controlled the game and it wasn't something I expected to see from them. The goal itself was a bit comical um, in nature that Adeloy scored, but at the time that it came around, it was thoroughly deserved. The loser for the game, undoubtedly for me, is Mark McNulty. Um, he came on as a substitute, obviously his kind of second debut for Dundee United, and he missed three absolute sitters and then he skied his penalty over the bar. I just don't think he's very good, um, Mark McNulty. Um I don't know that he's definitely a Premiership quality player. He had a wee purple patch when he joined Hibs and then nothing since. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I thought Air, Air were good, but for the penalty, which again, I've not seen a better angle of, but um, everyone that was at the game seemed to think it wasn't a penalty. David Hopkin obviously um, didn't think it was a penalty and some of the Dundee United players seemed a bit bemused by the decision to be honest and it, it changed the game with it being the red card coming with it as well um, I didn't see a goal coming for United otherwise um, so I think Air kind of were un- unfortunate and Dundee United got away with one uh, the other losers would definitely be Pixelot once more because um, the, the stream I was watching was a Pixelot stream that penalty uh, it decided to stay focused on the centre circle while the penalty was being taken. So I actually had no idea whether the ball had gone in. So I didn't have the volume on, obviously. If I'd had the volume on, I'd have worked it out. But um, the the camera just stayed focused on the centre circle. And then all you saw was the players like running up back. But I couldn't tell if it was players returning to their position for a goal kick, which is actually what I initially thought it was, because it kind of looked like the United players were quite happy. Um, but then eventually you kind of saw them spotting up for a for a centre and you realised, no, it was a goal. And then it did it again for one of the penalties in the shootout and managed to pan back just in time for the penalty being hit. So Pixelot continuing to be a, a piece of nonsense in 2021-22. In, in, in yeah, it's, it's it's genuinely off. I mean, what did I think the centre circle was just one big ball or something? Uh, Who knows? There were, there were a few pigeons flying about, and I noticed that a couple of times kind of did seem to track a pigeon rather than the ball. Um, the quality the quality of the footage was really poor, but I don't know if that was pixel or just the fact that I was watching it on um, insert generic streaming website here, where they they obviously it seems to be reduced by an order of about five million pixels um, as well, so that you're kind of watching it on a quarter of the quality of what you would normally get. Yeah. As you can tell, listeners, both myself and Craig are a wee bit uh, annoyed about the coverage <laughs> of pretty much all games uh, and being given this podcast to do uh, on on scraps and bones, essentially. But there's a lot of talk about penalties in that game there. Let's go to another game, I think, a big winner this this weekend where we're fans of penalty shootouts. Uh, and at the Tony Macaroni it was one each uh, between Livingston and St Mirren. Alan Forrest opening the goal for Livy and Connor McCarthy equalising for St Mirren quite late on. And then into penalty shootouts and Livingston winning it 4-3 in the end. Jason Holt scoring the decisive penalty and Kyle McAllister missing his. Tell me about this game, Craig. What, what have you seen of it? <laughs> yeah, I've seen absolutely nothing of it. So that will be um, a, a tremendous one to talk about. Uh, my, winner, my winner is going to be uh, Keegan Jacobs. Um, made his return from injury for Livingston after a very, very long spell out. 
um, did miss his penalty. <laughs> he was on the park for 17 minutes and missed a penalty in the shootout. But his team won and he was, I think it's like been nearly two years since Keegan Jacobs played a game. Um, and so that is, um, that's a really good sign for him. And the other winner is uh, Max Striek because I was very critical of him in the penalty shootout against Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup last season where he did not look like he was going to get anywhere near saving a penalty. But he came out on top in a um, in a penalty shootout this time around. So I thought that that's a nice little redemption story as such. Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously since uh, since he panned Jack McKenzie's shot into the back of the net uh, in the league the other day as well, a huge howler last minute, letting in the letting in the goal that lost it for Levy eventually. It's it's always nice to see uh, we we things like that come back and. And help goalkeepers. Um, I, I, I'm still not convinced Max GX is a brilliant goalkeeper, um, but certainly it was uh, it was his kind of day. And, and whenever there's a penalty shootout, you're never going to get a goalkeeper that's a loser, I don't think, because it's a lottery, isn't it? It's it's uh, that's what they all say. So yeah, Max Max GX, fair play to you. Um, one more game to cover here, Craig, and it was the game that was on Friday night, uh, and it was an absolute shooing uh, for Dunfermline Athletic. It was five 0 to Rangers going on about 15-0 and that was just in the first half and it was John Lindstrom, Scott Wright, Yanis Hadji and then a double from Kamar Roof either side of the break that won it for Rangers. I mean, my loser here is essentially just everyone involved with Dunfermline Athletic. Um, they were allowed fans in the stadium uh, which which just, I mean, fair play to the, the, the few hundred hardy souls that went through to watch what was almost going to certainly be an absolute drubbing uh, and, and what transpired to be but just, you know, the, the defence uh, of Dunfermline is just not sticking. Uh, it's not gluing to what Peter Grant wants to happen. Um, you know, he's, he's going with three at the back. I'm not sure that any Dunfermline fan wants to see that ever again, to be honest. It was just a comedy of errors in the first half that led to pretty much every single goal. Rangers not really trying uh, particularly hard and they were getting in behind Calvin Bassey. If you allow him time to cross a ball, he'll... he'll he'll find a good cross. But Yanis Hadji is, you know, five foot three with a daily record under him and he's scoring the header at the back post. It, it was just really, really poor from Dunfermline and I think it underpins their poor start to the season. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Chris Sutton is actually has the ability to time travel and he was actually talking about this game and he was talking about Dunfermline lying down at Ibrox because it was... <laughs> an utterly pathetic performance from them. Like, they were just absolutely terrible and... They seem they seem to kind of pack it in when it went to two 0 as well. It seemed like all right, game over. We'll just stop as well, and and it did feel like if Rangers had really wanted to, you know, if that if that had been that that last day of the season and Rangers needed to rack up the goals for goal difference or whatever, it did genuinely feel like it could have gone into double figures without much uh, hassle. Um, it's hard to pick up, but I, I don't really understand because I keep looking. Uh, um, so it's, I mean, I, I, that's been my, my Saturday um, Saturday evening if I'm travelling home from the game or if I'm out a walk or something uh, on my own. I tend to spend the Saturday evening looking at all the team lineups from all the SPFL games and try to, you know, see who's been playing for each team and so on, keep on top of all that. And every single time I look at a Dunfermline athletic lineup, I have no idea what system they can possibly be playing. Um, I know they play three at the back now, but I'm like, every time I look at the midfield and I'm like, what on earth are you doing? And how can you be going to Ibrox with um, Todorov, White and O'Hara and Dorans in your team? I don't really get it. Um, Pybus is a very, very average championship player, if, if that, to try and get him to hold your midfield together. Um, it doesn't make sense. And Dorans was, was stinking like, for him to be your big, um, I mean, I, I got my fingers burned saying this with with Charlie Adam last season. Um, just because someone played really well at a high level a few years ago doesn't mean they're going to be able to still play at a, a lower level. They might just be done. And Doran's like immediately that pass, uh, that backwards pass into his own box for the first goal. You just immediately go, what? Why? What were you thinking? Why were you doing that? And I've just got huge reservations about how Peter Grant is setting Dunfermline up. I don't really get it. And what is what is it that he's trying to do? And even if he is trying to, you know, think, right, we're going to eventually dominate games, we'll have all these attacking players on the park and teams will not get near us, what we talked about about Postacoglu. Going to Ibrox, that's never going to happen. So just pick a normal team. <laughs> just... 
Why can't like, you be just normal? Peter Grant is what you're saying. Why can't you just be normal? Exactly. Um, I it was it was remarkable. I mean, on one hand, fair play, uh, you're going to Ibrox. Why not put a couple of attackers on the pitch? On the other hand, you got beat 5-0, so um, maybe that's a lesson learned for the next time you end up at Ibrox, which, let's be honest, by the looks of things, will almost certainly just be in cup competitions for the next couple of years anyway. For me, a big winner, Kemar Roof. Uh, I think, obviously, it's quite well documented. He's had a, a tough couple of weeks. Um, and him, you know, coming into the team, scoring two two goals, uh, obviously one of which was a, a penalty. Um, but the, the first one was absolutely brilliant. Obviously, the link-up play with Joe Aribo uh, and getting on to the end of it and just absolutely thumping it um, past the, the goalkeeper. Yeah, I, I think Kemar Roof's a, a big winner from that game, obviously. Great to see Nathan Patterson uh, getting a game from the start as well. Tavernier dropping out, uh, and and obviously Calvin Bassey having after having stepped into Barisic's boots um, at the, the start of this season, he's he's been brilliant as well. I'm, I'm really impressed with with how he plays football as a left back, as a proper you know 100 mile an hour, 90 minutes sort of player. Um, gets to the byline, has got great delivery, um, and a, a big winner there. And I think uh, a big winner is is just the. The fans at Ibrox, Craig, um, you know, obviously they, they are the hoodoo, which means that Rangers uh, went out of Europe. Um, but obviously against Dunfermline, it doesn't matter how loud you are or how scared you make the players. Uh, they will still be they'll still be able to overcome it because they're playing against Peter Grant's Dunfermline. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that that's been overblown a bit. I think there might be a bit of truth in it, and that they maybe get on your back. But I don't think that happened against Malmo the other night. To be honest, I think they, they just. They just weren't very good, and they just got a game that a game that nine times out of ten they would win. They just got unlucky with, or, or unlucky is not the right word, but they they had a wee bit of bad luck, and then compounded it by just not being able to score once they were they were battering them again. Um, but yeah, I, I it, it's just generally good to have fans back for these games, have a cup tie, have crowds back in. Um, for several clubs, it was their first first time having. Um, an unrestricted crowd back in and obviously that that's that's great so um, long may it continue 100% 100% and what a lovely way to leave it Craig Anderson thank you so much for joining me for this podcast and thank you all for listening and for tuning in uh, we've seen the schedule for this week listeners and let me tell you there's a lot of hot content coming your way uh, from the Terrace podcast keep your eyes peeled uh, both on the, the Twitter feeds for the main shows and on Patreon for plenty more coming out this week. But for now, it's goodbye from me and goodbye to you, Craig Anderson. Goodbye and have uh, have a great week. Thanks, you too. (laughs) Sports Social Podcast Network.